Hello again. Welcome to Raise Her Up, the podcast from the Girls' Day School Trust. We are the GDST and the UK's largest family of girls' schools. My name is Cathy Walker, and throughout Series 1, I have had the pleasure of speaking with some amazing, strong, inspiring women and one man about their lives and their areas of expertise. In this episode, I am revisiting the advice shared by my guests on the topic of the future of the workplace. I'll let you know which episode each chat comes from because you are going to want to delve back into the first series and listen to those brilliant conversations in full. So here you go. From the GDST, this is Raise Her Up and we are focusing today on the future of the workplace. Episode 8 in the first series of Racer Up was my chat with Dr. Kathy Rogers. As a Channel 4 presenter, TV executive, food entrepreneur, writer, and most recently neuroscientist, I know uh, Kathy is pretty well placed to talk about all things career based. I think the foundational level of it, wherever you are in the world and whatever approach you're taking, is for teachers to have the belief and to pass that belief on to students that. Everyone is creative and everyone can get better at creativity just as they can with maths or with spelling or with the other things that we've kind of, we've decided those are the important things. So important that we're not going to let a child leave school unless they reach this bare minimum of maths ability. What if we thought about creativity in that way? What if we said we're not going to let children leave school until they're all able to generate new ideas. I totally believe that's possible. And I think that the first step of that is imbuing that sense of possibility in children. I know people do still say, oh, I'm bad at maths. And you know, you hear adults saying, oh, I'm bad at maths. And you, but you hear so many people say, oh, I'm just not creative. I mean, in fact, it's one of the things that got me interested in studying it is whenever I would do ideas sessions, when I worked as a TV creative coming up with ideas, I'd always try and haul in people from all the different departments, like, come on, lawyers, come on, accounts, come and play. And there was such resistance. You know, people would say, I don't have ideas. No, I'm scared. But everyone can get better. I think that's just so important. You will have lots of parents and carers listening to what you're saying today about creativity. Can you give an example of creativity in a home setting? There's a risk of being super annoying and saying, hey, roll your sleeves up and let's do freestyle painting. That is exactly what I was dreading. Yes, go on. <laughs> um, so there's a game that we play, which is called the tennis elbow foot game. And it's basically just a game where you have to make a connection with the word that the person before has said. And then there's a version of another version of it where you try, you say a word, like I might say the word duck, and you have to say a word that has no nothing to do with duck. But what to me that is doing is practicing finding things that are as far apart in my brain. Because I think that one thing that is not only important for creativity, but really exciting about creativity is when you find links between really surprising things. But I think all of those things are fun. I really enjoyed this chat with Kathy because she has had the most spectacular career path herself, which really does reflect the creativity in her approach. But the other thing I loved about it is that it reminded me of what I have in common with other parents, which is that sometimes we hear the word creativity and we think, oh, that will basically mean a lot of tidying up afterwards. And actually you have to just let that go and just be creative with your kids in whichever way suits you to be. 
In episode 14, I spoke with award-winning entrepreneur, co-founder of the game-changing Women's Network Albright and GDST alumna, Debbie Wosko, OBE. My upbringing was extremely women-centric in that I was at an all-girls school from the age of three and I'm a huge believer in girls-only education for my girls and girls in general. But also I'm from a matriarchy, you know, my grandmother and, and my mother ran their own businesses. I didn't know anybody at all in my extended family who had a conventional job. So when I look at my siblings, we all work for ourselves in some shape or form. And I worked in my last business with my brother and my sister as a psychotherapist, which has her own practice and buildings. And so something was in the water. But I think so much of it was you have to see it to be it as a girl. And I think one of the other things that I'm extremely grateful for with hindsight is we talked about money all the time. We talked about how you make money, how you save money, how you spend money. My mother said to me at a young age, because I have an extremely um, extended shoe wardrobe that, you know, you, you like nice things. So you better work hard to be able to afford them. And I'm kind of grateful for that sort of talk. And, and, and I'm very mindful of discussing that with my girls and my son. I think my children have a strange upbringing. You know, the, the other thing I've talked about a lot is I was a single mom with two very small children. That was most definitely not my plan A. My children have always been in and around work with me, partly because there was sort of no other way that I could figure out to do it. So they're very aware of the cadence of entrepreneurship, but also as a woman, how you have to show up in the world, whatever that means to you as a woman in your individual career. So they've seen me go to war for sure. You know, they've seen me win. They've seen me lose. They've seen things not work out. They've seen things be triumphs and disasters. And I think that's what we can do as parents is just be honest with our children about the world of work. It's interesting what you say about money because it is a recognized statistic, isn't it, that, that women tend to engage less with money within the household than their husbands, which is very disempowering. And you've spoken about that in the past, haven't you? I think money is power and knowledge is power. I think also ensuring that girls are as interested in innovation around money and technology that drives innovation as boys you know, we, we really need to make sure that girls aren't being left behind around innovation and the conversations that happen for them with their peers. And, and if we've got to accelerate that through having conversations at home, then I think that that's our role to be aware of the fact that that stuff emerges really early. Debbie was a really interesting person to speak to because she has achieved so much. And a lot of what she said was really common sense. You know, she pointed out that money doesn't necessarily have to be a dirty word. My guest for episode seven was the brilliant Erica Sosner. Not only is she a GDST alumna too, but she's also a career consultant for several large firms and a two-time TEDx speaker. She talked to us about the career equation, which she has conceived to help people choose the right career for them. You've asked them an open question, what do you love to do? They've given you one of their answers, which is, I love playing Roblox. And you have catastrophized that into, they will never speak to anyone again. It's important to just notice what you're doing, which is, I've been given this piece of information and from it I have extrapolated a fantasy of disaster and chaos for my child's future. So it's up to you. Do you want to have the conversation? Or do you, would you rather be attached to where you're going in terms of your fantasy for the future? The second thing is also, just because we're having this conversation, it doesn't mean that the only thing they're going to do with their life is play roadblocks, right? Um, we're, what's interesting, why do you love it? And th that is an opportunity around careers. 
Maybe they love it because they feel like there's something controllable that I'm making progress around and I'm troubleshooting and solving problems. In my experience, uh, children are least likely to heed key messages when they are delivered by a parent. So how can you get your child to listen to this and engage with this conversation? So I think it is less about getting them to listen to you and you getting better at listening to them. That's where the problem starts. The problem is in the telling Telling allows for no discovery. Think about it for yourself as an adult. That hasn't changed, right? When someone does tell it you, you shut off. That's just a human thing. It's not a kid thing. And the career equation, which is the model that we use for all of our career conversations, whether we're working with people of school age all the way to, to retirement and beyond. So the equation says we want to work in an area of skill and we want to apply those skills to an area of passion. So getting underneath Who have we got in front of us and what do they just lose time when they do that? And you've been watching them. You've got the advantage of being watching them since they were little tiddlers. And then you've got impact, which is effectively how does the person in front of you define success? And this is probably the bit that your young person has considered the least. What is it that makes me feel like I've had a good day or I've done something valuable with my life or I've created a sense of meaning? Being able to really explore that value set with them can be extremely helpful. So you have these first three pieces, skills plus passion plus impact. So the fourth component is really understanding where does your child do their best work? Are they very collegiate and they thrive as part of a team? Are they someone who enjoys a really peaceful environment and just getting their head down? And do they like a fast pace with quick results? Or are they willing to go slow and steady wins the race? So here are the four questions. They're super easy, really, really easy. The first for skills is, what are you good at? Secondly, what do you love? And why? Why do you love that? The third one is impact. What really matters when it comes down to it for you? And then the last thing about environment is where do you think you do your best work? Where are you at your best? What I really liked about Erica's episode was how completely pragmatic her approach to careers is. Of course, you should start with what you enjoy, you know, and also challenging yourself as a parent. If your child really likes playing games online, then perhaps there's a career path in there and perhaps it's not all bad, as long as you can combine it with another element of her career equation, which is working out what your impact should be. In the final episode of season one, writer, presenter and flexible working activist Anna Whitehouse, aka Motherpucker, was my guest. Anna spoke openly and frankly about the challenges that she had encountered in the workplace that led her to lead this groundbreaking campaign. Yeah, it's been quite a while of piping up and hammering on the doors of uh, number 10 uh, exhaustedly with a child on my boob. Um, But it's been, yeah, it was from a very primal, uh, maternal, visceral place where I was coming back from work and, you know, that I called it running the maternal gauntlet where I'd leave the office at like 4.59 p.m., And if there were no leaves on the line, uh, if somebody didn't get their briefcase trapped in the tube door, then I might just make it to not disappoint my young infant child who has her Peppa Pig backpack on with big, wide Bambi eyes. And I was in this cycle of, you know, I had to pay one pound a minute for every minute I was late. So it was this financial pressure, this emotional pressure, this parental pressure. I had to work because we couldn't afford me to not work. It was not a privilege or a luxury or a hobby. Um, It was essential. So yeah, it really came from that point where a guy did get his briefcase trapped in the tube door and it put me 
14 minutes late for nursery pickup. And I was charged a pound a minute after six. And I sat there and I was crying next to my daughter, crying with her Peppa Pig backpack on going, this isn't my fault. And I remember it feeling primal, maternal. And I got online uh, where I'd been posting about sort of avocado toast and flowers for however Instagram worked back then. And I just went, I'm done. I am absolutely done because I'm talented and I've worked really hard and I know that I can do this, but it feels like I have been set up for a complete fall here. I'm not broken. The system is broken. And if I stepped away to be a journalist, I'm sure as hell going to upgrade from tow bars to maternity discrimination. So Flex Appeal began in 2015. Has there been any progress that you can link to the campaigning that you've undertaken so far? I get quite emotional talking about this because um, it was three barristers who got in touch with me um, and they'd read my story about how I'd stepped back from the bar and they had said, do you know what? We carried on and it's broken us, but we are the top equality barristers in the UK and we are with you. And the government isn't going to change this. Uh, It came from that point of realising that these were three women who were in the same position I was in at 21 and had fought through and had broken, but who were still there. And they said, let's actually take this to someone who will cross the I's, dot the T's, and will ensure that when this law does change, which it will, that no employer can wriggle out of it. And that really was the seismic shift in this. So we have just, you say what has changed through Flex Appeal is what's changed through, you know, women's pain at the bar mutually coming together. So we've put the application in, we have given it everything. The Equality and Human Rights Commission has said the primary way to close the gender pay gap is through flexible working. It was such a privilege to speak to Anna Whitehouse. I think what Anna does incredibly well is that she can speak to anybody. She really can convey the passion that she has for the flexible working uh, campaigning that she does. I find her incredibly powerful, convincing and persuasive. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes of season two. And you'll also be notified about our next special, where we will hear from some brilliant and influential women covering the conversations I had regarding allyship. From the GDST, I'm Cathy Walker, and this is Raise Her Up.